What's going on, everybody? Jordan Ostroff is officially in the house. A surprise to no one that he's wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Jordan... I specifically put this on after Elizabeth <laughs> and Elise called you out on it. So I was wearing a non-Hawaiian shirt beforehand. So I'm, I'm let you so know inc- I'm so excited that I'm going to say you dressed up for this interview instead of dressed down. I dressed um... horizontally. It was a different <laughs> polo that wasn't Hawaiian enough. So I switched to the very welcoming pineapples. I love it. I love it. We already got someone who hearted on this. If you guys are watching this, whether live or recorded, make some noise in the comments as you watch this, because I really want this to be engaging. Jordan and I can talk for hours. And we do sometimes. Not recorded. It's going to be 10 times better with you guys letting us know what you think about this stuff. Jordan, I don't even want to read like a bio or anything. I'll just say this. Jordan runs a multi-million dollar law firm that runs itself and he also runs a marketing agency and Jordan I think that so many people they hear about what you're doing and it's almost like you don't believe that this is possible some days I don't believe it's possible and then it happens still we're going to get into some like just topics that I'm excited to explore with you but first where you're at now, was this something that a year or two or more ago you were like, this is what I want for myself and I'm going to work towards it? Or did you just kind of say, this is what I like doing. I'm just going to kind of dance around business and then oops, you end up here and it's great. If you get in a car and you're like, I'm just going to drive around randomly and I have no idea where I want to go. How do you know if you're closer to it or not? And don't Mm -hmm. get me wrong. I've had my firm for six years, three years, three and a half of those years. That's exactly what I did. I was like, hey, we get, thank you, Kendra. I would, I would totally rock a unicorn Hawaiian shirt. And like, I had no idea what I wanted. There were days where I could tell it was better than the previous day or months that were better or worse or whatever. But until I actually was like, this is what I want it to look like mm. at not even the end, because I am not at the end, but this is what I want it to look like in five years or this is what my ideal firm would look like. And then I need to work backwards into this and backwards into this and backwards into that. And some days it changes. There are some days where, you know, I want to be gigantic and there are some days where I'm happy with our size and there are some days where, you know, whatever, but I have that plan. And when I really sit down every three months, six months, a year to edit those plans becomes the real time that we determine what the future Mm. looks like. And then you just execute it. Like, seriously, I'm not special. Um, I'm relatively smart and I got out of the way of my ego quite a bit. And like, those are the two things that matter the most, not anything else I've done being special, but knowing my faults. I think that you're too humble a lot of the time. Thank you. (laughs) I can't say that, but I know. (laughs) So 
I, I want to start here because I think that a lot of people in the, the legal world, and I'm thinking of people like Melissa Shanahan, say things like, it's not just enough to have a vision. You want to be as clear as possible with what this needs to look like. And I love that visual of like, if you hop in a car and start driving, who knows where you'll end up. How specific years ago, looking back, do you feel like you were to get here? Like, were you like, here is the specific point in the GPS that I want to get to? Or it's just like, I just, I want to get to Florida somehow. Great question. I, I mean, look, the more specific that you can get, the easier it will be to get there. Not that it will be easy, but easier. And yeah. so I, I highly suggest everybody, you sit down and you do three, where am I? I'm here. So three questions. How much money do I need to make? Not mm. how much money do I want to make? How much money do I need to make? How much work do I want to be doing time-wise? And what work do I want to be doing in that time frame? So need, want, want. And have mm. those three questions, write them down, put them somewhere, post-it note them on the corner of your screen, whatever. And then every small decision becomes a question of, does it get me closer to those three things? Does it get me to the money? Does it get me to the time? Does it get me to the actual work? And that's the easy one. The next step is then really sit down and build the law firm of your dreams. Like really go ahead and write it out. You know, if you want to oversee 50 people, awesome. Phenomenal. God bless you. If you want to have a firm of two people, awesome. Phenomenal. I'm, I'm there for you. But like really outline what that looks like size-wise, what that looks like roles-wise, what it looks like requirements-wise. And mm -hmm. then as far away as you are from that, you start working backwards. So if you are a two-person firm now and you want to get to a 50-person firm, figure out what salaries it will take and make sure you have middle management mm -hmm. wind up in there. We often don't think about that. And then look at, you know, if I can grow 10 or 15% a year, all right, well, then to get to the salary I need to have that many people, that's going to take me 15 years. Okay, cool. Then what does it look like in 14 and 13 and 12 and 10? And then what does it look like in nine months and six months and three months and next week? And then what does it look like tomorrow? And what do I have to do today to get on that path? And the more specific that is, the easier it is to be like, I need to call 7,000 people tomorrow and remind them of what I do. Like, that's not going to be realistic. Mm -hmm. But the more yeah. it's like, all right, I need to build one new referral source every week for the next five years. And that's my goal. That's a lot, a lot more doable, even though that's 250 something people that are going to send you business at the end of those five years. It's digestible. It's, <sighs> it's executable. And one of your advantages, I think just your personality advantages is that you're very naturally positive. I, I know that it's, it's very easy. I hope my wife agrees with me. Yes. I know it's very easy for a lot of people when they start building these big visions or they have these goals. And, and I'm reading Dan Sullivan's The Gap in the Game right now, so it's top of mind for me. But it's really easy when you start thinking about the gap and you get clearer on your goals and the fact that you're not there yet. That can be uncomfortable. That can cause a lot of stress, anxiety. How big of a challenge is that for you when you're like, I'm not where I want to be yet. And to the extent that you get caught up in that mindset, like what do you do to help? So I actually have a date on my calendar. It was in the past and literally it was like close the firm date. Like if I was still unhappy mm -hmm. by that date, I gave myself a year. So it was probably two years ago, three years ago. I had that date and I, I don't remember what it was, but like literally it was like when that date came back up on the calendar, if I was still miserable, as mm -hmm. terrible as I felt on like my worst month of the firm, I was going to burn it all down to the ground. 
and I, that date came and went and I didn't close down the firm because mm. I made so much progress. And so like a really shitty year became a shitty month every now and then, became a shitty week every now and then, became a shitty day every now and then, became a shitty hour every now and then. Like that's what it's going to be. It's going to be progress. Mm. It's not going to be perfection. There are still things that happen. There are still emails I get that will, that could set me off until I take that moment. They're like, you know what? But I haven't had anything set me off in my firm in like nine months. So like we're due. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Like this was, this is a fine problem, you know, COVID, whatever, like we'll figure it out. It's fine. It's we're, we're better than we were a year ago with nobody driving for eight weeks at a PI firm. Like we'll figure it out. I also want to ask you before we dip into the, the marketing side of things, and I guess this is kind of tied to marketing and branding and stuff. Tell us the actual story behind the Hawaiian shirts. I, that's a really good question. So here's the thing for me. Whenever I'm talking to somebody, anybody who talks about branding, anybody who talks about being genuine and authentic and finding the you and and being unique, I'm always like, how do you make somebody do that? Like, how do you walk somebody through the process? And I still haven't gotten a great answer on it because like it is genuine and unique and whatever. And so for me, honestly, I live in Florida. It's hot. I'm overweight. I don't want to wear a suit. I'm going to be sweaty. It's going to be gross. So then it was like, let's rock polo shirts and shorts and sandals. Mm. And then somehow, I don't know, my wife bought me a couple funny Hawaiian shirts. I had, a, I actually, it started out, yeah. And then um, I had, a, I was a groomsman in a wedding. And so he intentionally got us ridiculous over the top shirts. I'm the only one who wore them after the groomsman thing. Cause <laughs> like, awesome. this is awesome. Who cares? And then people started jumping on it because every lawyer that, or, or every 95% of lawyers, you know, are like, Hey, I dressed down. I didn't wear a tie today. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hey, I dressed up. I have pineapples instead of Tyrannosaurus rexes or um, lobsters or flamingos, whatever else I have over there on the shelf. Well, so we've got some people watching live. Give me a one in the comments if if your law firm brand is the type that like you would dress down, and like maybe there's your own unique way of having the equivalent of a Hawaiian shirt that you'd love to tap into. Uh, I ask that because I know that we've got legalese and I think a lot of law firm owners know and love you for the Hawaiian shirts. Is that still aligned and the Jordan that we see with your law firm or do you show up there differently? So I was wearing a different shirt before for my law firm. It was a blue polo shirt that had our logo on it. So that is the difference. That is my different authenticness is the pattern on the polo or the material <laughs> or something like that, that changes. Uh, it was funny. We had a, um, so I'm in, I'm in Orlando, I'm in Orange County. So we had our first in-person judicial investiture uh, a couple months ago. We didn't do them for whatever it was, two years. And so I show up in my normal, like a blue polo and khaki pants and sandals. And of course, like a couple people were like, Hey, you know, wait, wait, good job dressing up. Like, you know, right. everybody else is in a suit. I'm in this. And I was like, look, I gotta be honest. If anybody knows who I am, this is how they should expect me to dress. I guarantee you I'm the most comfortable person here because half the people are in robes, the other half are in suits, and I'm in, you know, sandals and shorts. I was like, and honestly, at this point, like, a bunch of these judges are going to ask me to be on their campaign committee because I have a great great brand, because I know people, because I get out, because I network, not because I'm a great lawyer. Nobody cares about that part. And so, Mm -hmm. like, why should I pretend to be something I'm not to fit into a place that people want me to be anyway? because of who I am. Like it makes no sense to me. And this, this dovetails right into us talking about marketing. When, what I love that you've done is you've built an entirely separate brand based off lessons learned. I know that you spent a lot of time, spent a lot of money 
learning lessons for the law firm that now you give people so many shortcuts through with legalese is the the branding and a lot of times in the the legal space the direction of oh i need to be suited up at all times is there any part of that that's like a big marketing mistake that that you learned or that you tend to help legalese clients with a very great question I hammer, and I Greg's going to laugh if he hears this, because I talk about this on literally everything. You need to know your ideal client. Mm, you need to yes, know who the person is yes. you want to work with. Because like even, so last week I attended Atticus's W Revenue event, and literally they did a 30-minute presentation on dressing well, dressing the part, quote unquote. Mm. And I was like, look, I got to be honest, this guy is coming to us as a former estate planning attorney. Awesome. He needed to dress up. He was trying to get in front of people who had money who are going to spend a lot of money for him. Yeah. Dress for the client, not for the profession. Bingo. Chris White. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm going to talk about. And like, he was right for his client, for my client, who's somebody injured in a car accident, who's never dealt with an attorney before, who probably has a lot less money to rub together. If I am wearing a thousand dollar suit, it's harder for us to have a conversation. Mm. It's harder for him to walk up to me at some networking event and, and, you know, and shoot up a conversation than if I'm dressed the way that I want to dress and the way that I like to dress and the way that makes sense for my clients and also happens to make me happy yeah. as well. And so there isn't this, there isn't anything that's right or wrong in the macro, mm. but in the micro, it's you, it's your firm, it's your brand, it's yeah. your client, it's your practice area. Like that's what you have to understand. Anybody who gives you advice, I don't care if their practice area is the same as yours. I care if their ideal client is the same as yours. Mm. I care if their ideal goals are the same as yours. I love it. And I love that you zoomed out that way because this, you're right, this applies to so much more than just what you're wearing. I was talking to someone, and I, I think it might've been you, about how there's a lot of resistance right now to people like getting on TikTok or Instagram Reels. And this there's the sense of like, I don't wanna, I don't wanna do the whole like me dancing and pointing at word bubbles and things. And great, if that's not you, you can still use that short video clip on platforms that the algorithm likes right now to be more of who you are and connect with your clients. I mean, look at our, our buddy, Elizabeth Pickle. Yeah. So, you know, here yeah. she is. So estate planning and trademark stuff, if mm -hmm. I can use the TM word out in Arizona, but like her whole thing is this mindfulness concept of it. So it's being very welcoming. It's helping yeah. people like, estate planning is tough. Like we're going to talk about your death. So it's a little bit different. And so she has jumped on this real showing a personality side, this real mindfulness mama bear type thing. And like, part of that is, you know, doing the funny voiceovers or doing some of the dances or, you know, calling people out for funny stuff and like that very maternal stern way, but like mm -hmm. in a funny engaging way, it's awesome. If her clients, you know, if her clients for that were like, 70 year olds worth you know 45 million dollars who are looking for it like that's probably not the right fit even though it's the same or similar yeah. legal needs so you have to find that about them and you have to find that what is genuine about you and then you venn diagram where they intersect that's thanks mike whalen fanboying love it <laughs> that's so good so let's go back to to marketing lessons that you learned and like i said earlier you got if you guys know jordan you know that he is not a dumb person but i have done dumb things that we'll talk about in this question can we yeah can we dive into some of the the marketing mistakes that, that you've made and that you're now seeing your your marketing clients and customers make sure 
So look, I was an egotistical asshole for a very long time and maybe still am. I'll, I'll leave that to everybody else's opinion. But ultimately, like I went to UCF for undergrad in Orlando. I was on trial team. I did very well or our teams did very well. I went to Barry. I got a scholarship to do trial team. I did very well or our teams did very well. And so like here I was sitting as a 1L competing against 2Ls and 3Ls being told I was great getting $15,000 from the school over that time frame to do it and whatever. And I let it go to my head. And so finally, like at the end of my 1L year, one of the 3Ls who genuinely cared about me took me aside and was like, that's what's holding you back. And for like 45 minutes, I was like, hey, this is the pot calling the kettle black in my head. <laughs> Thankfully, I didn't verbalize it. Mm. But then like at the 44th minute, that's what I thought. At the 45th minute, I was like, but she's right. Mm. But she's totally correct. This is my problem. And so like it was a really great conversation that helped me kind of turn around what I was doing. And then I went into 2L year. So 1L year in law school, you're all in the same group. You have everybody in the same classes. 2L year, you split up into different groups. And so a bunch of people who didn't know me, first day of evidence was the teacher was my trial team coach from the previous semester. And he was like, hey, anybody in the class except for Mr. Ostroff and my co-counsel know the answer to this question. Like, I'm going to give everybody else the opportunity first, and then I'll call on these people that definitively know the right answer. And I was like, damn it, man. Like, I was so close to, like, being able to break through this. But I say that from the standpoint of, like, so by the time – then I was a prosecutor. So – UCF in Orlando, Barry in Orlando, prosecutor in Orlando, opened up my firm in Orlando. So I'd been doing like fake trials with real attorneys and judges for like 10 years. Mm. And so I was really, I had a much better network than I realized I had. Mm. I had a lot of people that knew me to be good at what I did or liked me or whatever it was. And I, but I didn't know what to do with it, if that Mm. makes sense. Like I didn't know how to really network, how to do this, how to do whatever else. And so I had a bunch of cases coming in that I didn't know how to handle correctly, Mm. then thought like, well, if I had a marketing company, this will be amazing. So I blew a bunch of that money and more and maxed out credit cards and whatnot to the tune of like 200 grand. And then I bought another firm and I was like, well, this will be great. Like they have clients and I'll do great work and we'll do this. And there were no systems and no, and like Mm. nothing. And so at some point I was $200,000 in debt. I was working 78 hours a week. My wife was like, Hey, and congratulations. We're pregnant with our son and i was like awesome what are we gonna do like how is that you said two hundred thousand dollars in yeah so i I bought another firm so there was i paid some of it down there was some on a loan i maxed out every dime or of credit that anybody would give me on those things i signed some long-term contracts for some marketing stuff that didn't pan out so between Mm. like all those things like just the firm in debt like not and law school loans and a mortgage and you know whatever else and realized like literally I not to say I did everything wrong, but ultimately I did everything wrong. Like I had no ideal client. I had no systems. I had no processes. I had no idea what success looked like on any of these. I didn't know the questions to ask to make sure it was a good fit or a good vendor or a good hire or a good ad or whatever. And like, that's my fault. Hmm. You know, it would be nice to sit here and say, I wish the marketing companies had said, we're not going to take your money because you don't have an intake system, but like that's asking for too Ugh. much. So it's on me. You know, it was my fault. I said, yes, I signed the contract. I paid the stuff. I, I did what I could and nothing came from it because um, I cheaped out in some places because I didn't have systems in other places because I didn't understand it enough in other places. I didn't give it enough time. I, whatever it was going to be. Um, and, nothing. and that was how long ago? Dude, so my kid's three and a half. He was born in March of 2018. So, so my wife would have announced like mid, mid 2017. So I started okay. the firm in 2015. So like two and a wow. half years in, three years in. And just like, I don't know what we're going to do. And thankfully, Mm. uh, I was able to, so I, 
So Greg, my business partner on Legalese, he and I like had rotated in similar circles. I'm slightly older than him, not by much. Um, had rotated in similar circles. And like finally one day I was like, you're running this organization that my wife is a member of. We have a bunch of friends in common. I won UCF 30 under 30 one year. He won the next year, whatever. I'm like, dude, can I buy some time? Like, mm. be honest with me. You're not trying to sell me anything. I'm not in the right industry. Like, what the hell is wrong? And he was like, look, man, you just like didn't take marketing 101. And he handled it like so well. He could have come in and just like blasted me. And he's like, you just, there's none of the foundations. Like you've been able to build a, you know, $600,000 a year firm with like no concept of what they would teach you on day one of marketing. And guess what? Every lawyer, every lawyer, 90, 99% of lawyers have the same education. Okay. And when you, when you say like you missed marketing 101, are there like three or four pillars to that? Or are there like 24 chapters of like topics that are in Greg's head when he's telling you that, like how many things do you need to graduate from marketing 101? So you have to know your ideal client. Mm. You have to understand like an organic strategy versus an ad strategy versus own media versus earned media versus mm. whatever. And I guess you don't even really have to know it, but when it comes to creating an actual plan or thinking about your client, it helps to kind of see the broader picture of how you get in front of them. So mm. if you've got, you know, if you've got a super savvy clientele, they might appreciate earned media a lot more. If you're the one on the news being interviewed every 30 days, you might get a certain type of client as mm. opposed to the ones who just want to see a billboard or as opposed to the ones that want to open direct mail and give you a call or whatever. Tracking. So like actually tracking what you can control in ads. So if you're running Google mm. ads or Facebook ads, impressions, clicks, follow throughs, consults, um, knowing what service offerings you have profitability wise, it's easy to sit there and be like, well, you know, serious felonies are a $25,000 case versus 2,500, it's a lot harder to be like, well, but those take 20 times as many hours as the smaller ones. Mm -hmm. So they're actually mm -hmm. less profitable. And then like, there's a component of expectation that comes with that baseline knowledge. So if you are signing, you know, if you're hiring Blue Shark for SEO, Seth and or Seth's team are excellent about being like, you're not going to see results tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But if you go to your email, if you're a lawyer like me, you have 47 emails that are like, I'm going to get you on page one of Google tomorrow for right. 199 bucks. Meanwhile, I'm on page one of Google for Jordan Ostroff, attorney in Orlando who <laughs> has dark hair and a long beard and wears Hawaiian shirts, whatever. Like, great. I'm probably the entire page on Google when it comes to that. Sure. It, you don't know enough to know what to actually expect at a lot of these things. So I would say those five that I don't remember what they were. And if you ask me, I'll give you a different Dude, five. that's so why we recorded this. this. There was, we go. This was great. Super helpful. And I want to, I want to go back to that first one of that ideal client, because when, when you say that is, is it a question of, okay, based on your practice area, based on your state, when we say like, find your, find your ideal audience, find your niche, is there like a, a right smartest niche to go after? Or is it just like, who is it that you want to serve? Like, is it more of like a, there's not one right answer, but what is like your values plus affluence plus whatever that equals, okay, based on that, here would be a good specific demographic psychographic whatever graphic for you. There are, thank Elise Bowie says she loves the shirt. Thank you. Elise, you were part of the reason for it. Um, 
So there are a million right answers to your ideal client mm. and there are a million wrong answers to your ideal client. And ultimately, a huge, right, dude, Chris White, I don't know, I know. You're, you're smart. So viable yes. client profile. I call it an ideal client avatar, but ultimately, yes, the viability of it is huge because, mm -hmm. you know, I talk to, like, look, to be an attorney, you are going to put up with a lot. You, you're going to see people on their worst day, no matter what you do. Like nobody wants to hire an attorney. They are coming to you because they need it. And there's a type of person that wants to be an attorney. Either you are an egomaniac or you genuinely care about other humans and know that you have one of the jobs that is the easiest way to positively impact people's lives. Mm. And for those of you that are the second one, that becomes like, I want to do family law only for single moms with multiple kids and a deadbeat husband who doesn't pay them any child support. But also I have a huge, I have $150,000 in student loans and I have a mortgage and I have a staff and I have an office, whatever. So like, you need to find the person who can be viable, who can pay, who can yeah. do that part of it. Um, but then once you have overcome the hurdle of it being genuinely possible for this to be a great client, then it goes back to the other side of what you said, where you're looking for the one that fits you, that fits your firm, that fits your brand, that fits your culture, that fits your you yeah. know, practice area, et cetera. And Jordan and I have talked about this, but just to share part of my story on this, I didn't realize that I was doing this, but one of the first niches that we tapped into by mistake, honestly, was... Etsy store owners who have a very specific pain point of being on a platform. And even though they might not be making a ton of money, like I always joked that like all of my clients were grandmas on Etsy, but there was, there was a real like cost and emotion to if I get three or however many people sending some type of a cease and desist or infringement report to Etsy against my account, copycats can get my short, can get my store shut down. So what can I be doing to claim my store name to prevent bullies from going after my account because I technically don't have the trademark on it yet. And so there was a very real specific pain point to that audience, even though to an outside person, they might not have been, been seen as like a very affluent clientele. But I think that speaks to once you zoom in on a viable client profile, like Chris said, what is the particular pain point around your offer for them that you can speak to? And then also, what do they like? And again, like you're doing such a good job of this. Like I'm, I'm having trouble thinking of a cool law firm owner who would be turned off by you wearing Hawaiian oh, shirts. There's plenty, but I, it doesn't seem like you take this seriously. You know, like the, these cases are important. How do I know you're going to take it that way? Yada, yada, yada. Great. Cool. Look, man, there's 1.3 million attorneys over 400,000 firms and probably like a million of them wear suits and do personal injury. But if you want the one who's cool, if you want the one who's laid back, if you got the client who, you know, they're going to be, I don't want to say concerned, nervous speaking to an attorney, like then we become a much better fit yeah. for your friend, for your family, for your referral source, for, you know, yourself. Mm. And it's totally cool. Look, I do not get insulted when somebody hires somebody else. <laughs> my so I demand a tweed jacket and a pipe for my attorneys. You know, Mike, I, I don't have tweed jackets anymore, but I do have my grandfather's pipe set over there. So if we need to do a, uh, like a weird I, crossover. Collab. I was going to say, I know Michael's joking, but I feel like he's 
kind of would love. Yeah, no, that would that would that would be, that would be on brand for him. I like it. Also around marketing, and feel free to be like, Joey, good question, but I want to take the conversation in this direction. One of the mistakes or or trends that I'm seeing is people who are lawyers who have a law degree, they hang their shingle, they become a lawyer to an extent because they want to like provide justice in a way that they didn't at their nine to five and really help people. And there seems to be this aversion to selling that tends to be more present in the law firm owner friends, at least that you and I hang out with. And I, I'm seeing more and more, even people who they've got great marketing, they've had content go viral, they're not really seeing the the calls being booked at the extent that they would want. And there are just missed opportunities for, from them to take that visibility that they're getting to a generation of, of leads in the pipeline and sales. Are you seeing that too? I want to say no, because once they hire us, we fill in all the- There things. we go. No, but now look, the- uh, for those of you that don't know, so Joey and I jumped on 20 minutes before this to check the technology. We knew that would work. And we had a lot of this conversation beforehand. So the part that I don't understand, right? This is the thing that I cannot wrap my head around. As a lawyer, what the hell are you doing every day? Like you are selling the truth to a jury. You are selling case law to a judge. You are like, you are selling. You are trying to get somebody to believe in your truth, in your case, in your facts, in your case law, in whatever. The difference between that and selling to a client to hire you is like, uh, it's so close, it's right there. And also, you should, or most of us do, believe that we are the absolute best attorney, God's gift to our right. practice area, geographic or whatever. So then from that standpoint, you have a legitimate moral imperative to get the client to hire you, knowing that you will do a better job for them over everybody else. Mm -hmm. And if you truly believe in the two things that I just said, you gotta just sell, like you have to sell. It is on you to sell yourself to clients or your firm or whatever it is, when you have the awesome knowledge and when you have the ability to convince somebody of something because you will truly change somebody's life if they hire you and you truly are the best fit. Yeah. I love this. I'm going to share a quick story and I would love for you yeah. to respond to it, Jordan. Because earlier this week, I was talking to uh, a younger attorney who's getting into estate planning, also doing trademarks. She's fantastic. But she she wants more leads for her firm. And she's she started to commit herself to going to more like local networking events. And I asked her what she was doing. She said she had this booth at this local event and she was she was like, what I wanted to do was I wanted to get people on my email list. So I had this piece of paper out and anybody who I talked to and they wanted to learn more, they could put their, their name, email, and number on this and I would add them to my email list. And I was like, okay, um, like how many of those did you get at your last conference? And she said, like maybe 20 people filled out the form. And I said, well, what if you just change the language on the form and when you're talking to people, and instead of saying, fill this out and I'll put you on my list, to fill this out and we'll book a call with you and consult with you about your estate planning needs. And I could see her head exploding. And she was like, oh, I didn't even think about just making that list people that I could book to call. And I think sometimes 
the, the more we learn about marketing and the more we learn about things like funnels and email lists and other touch points we can create before someone becomes a potential client, it can, it can be easier to be like, well, let me just get them on the email list first. All right, I'm going to go hot take. I hate the concept of marketing funnels. Hate it. I think it's one of the worst things that we have done. I get the concept because like you're always going to lose people somewhere in the funnel, but I hate the fact that like I can't get my finger feet right in my hands right here. Um, but like I hate the concept of us assuming that we're going to lose people as we go down the funnel. Mm. Like I get that it's going to happen, but I don't like conceptualizing that way. And I don't like the fact that we are like, well, the top of the funnel is super broad. So like, who cares? Like, just let me buy a bunch of emails and throw them in there. I think instead, my two cents for what it's worth, which is probably less than two cents with inflation, is a chain. You have to think about it as a chain. Like they are this link right now, and then they need to go to this link and this link and this link and this link and this and the whole way down. And then as you are tracking the transition from link to link in your chain, you can see where your problems are because people go, they get stuck in one spot and they don't move to the next. And it's very similar to coming down the funnel, but I don't want to automatically rationalize that I'm going to lose a bunch of people because mm. I don't know what those numbers are until I've done it. Instead, I can look at where the weak, weak links in my chain. If a hundred people go to my website and not a single one books a consultation, I might not have a marketing problem. I might have a conversion problem on my website. Maybe it's because the wrong people are going. I don't know. But at sure. least like you can find that problem and work your way back to see where the issues are as opposed to just being like, well, you know, a hundred here becomes 20 here becomes five here becomes right. three here. Like eh, whatever. It's okay. And I think had she have looked at like, how do I actually make money and then work the chain backwards? Yes. She would have gotten through exactly what you said instead of being like, well, they're at the top of the funnel. So now like the gravity will pull them down. Right. Well, and I think she was, you're right. She was, once we did the math, then she was like, if I could get four or five people from every con like, you know, conference that I go to to get a call booked, I would hit my sales goals at least to start. And I was like, okay, well, then instead of getting 20 and, or 50 people on an email list and hoping that five of them book a call with you, why not just ask them all for a consult? And if, maybe if they say no, then there's something else that you can be like, well, if you're not aware enough to see the value here, but I think you might be a good fit, here's some type of a resource for you. Sure. I mean, look, you marketing is an art. And yeah. as much as I try to make it into a science, it is human nature. So there is an artistic component to it. And a lot of this, like, you don't know until you try. Yeah. And ultimately, ideally, what I would really like her to do is buy two booths, clone herself on opposite <laughs> sides of the same conference, and put two different email lists, two different requests, and run it and A-B test it. You're not going to get that opportunity at a trade show in the same manner that you would on you know, Google Ads or yeah. whatnot. But like, that's what you got to do. You know, Try stuff out and test it. But go in knowing that, like, immediately knowing this is not a bad idea. It may not be a good idea, but at least I know it's not an, a bad idea. And I've yeah. got the time for it, and I've got the budget for it, and I've got the energy for it, and I am properly supporting this strategy. You know, you were talking about people going viral and stuff, but they didn't properly support the, that social media strategy. So they went mm. viral, and maybe they were able to get a couple other posts that were viral, but, like, without having all of this put together in that full overarching plan, that full ecosystem, that full link in the chain, you know, whatever it is, um, getting people from point A to point B, you're missing a bunch of steps. So good. Are, are there any other like big, like marketing tips or golden nuggets that are like always top of mind for you to share 
when it comes to this kind of stuff and kind of what, what the big things are that you help people avoid, or maybe that people don't know about marketing that you help them see very quickly? I, this goes back to, I think a couple of people, I think you've connected me with the more that we talk about mindset, the more everybody Mm -hmm. comes back to this concept, like things are just things we assign like positive and negative stuff to them and and whatever. Danya Hunt, I think put it almost Mm -hmm. exactly that way. So like from the standpoint of marketing, we are told a bunch of things and you really have to look at like, are they right or are they backed up or do they make sense for me depending upon the situation? And I think that's the issue that people struggle with is like, oh, the guy next door did really well with pay-per-click or, oh, you know, um, this, this lady told me she did an excellent job on TikTok and whatever it is without really coming back to you, without coming back to the ideal client, without coming back to does that fit you, you have the time for it, you have the budget for it, you have the interest for it. And so the more that we take these marketing large scale concepts and then break them down into why is somebody telling me that? Like if they are Mm. a PPC company telling me that pay-per-click is the best thing on God's green earth, like they're biased, but then two, taking it to like, well, does that fit me? Do I have the same budget? Do I have the same time, the same energy? I mean, like that's the part that people struggle with. I guarantee you, barring the fact that you come across a true 100% scam artist, which they're out there, not as frequent as we make it seem. Instead, yeah. there are people out there that just don't know their craft well enough to say no or to have what worked for the landscaper in BFE, whatever, versus the personal injury attorney in downtown Manhattan. Like, well, I rank this person, page one over here. Great. Like there aren't there aren't 10 competitors of them within 50 yeah. miles as opposed to, mm. you know, I got Morgan's main office that 500 feet from me and there's another thousand personal injury attorneys around here like seo for me is going to look a lot different than it would when you're in i don't know i'm going to be i'm going to be driving from san antonio to big bend over uh new year's that's a six and a half hour drive i can't name a single city in between those and i looked on the map like it's just it's west texas like if you're there seo might be phenomenal so having a website might rank you in your town in your Mm. county in whatever it's going to be. So like when somebody tells you, Hey, this concept's great, really think about like, why are they saying that? Or why did it work for them? Or that's great. Whatever. Great point. Awesome, man. So valuable. By the way, we'll make sure that we provide Jordan's information around this video and the show notes, things like that. But Jordan, for people who would like to know more about what you do and how you help law firm owners, where do you recommend that they like go next? And is there something that they should opt into or would you book a call as a first step? No, don't worry about it. <laughs> I we'll, we'll just, we'll put you in the top of our email funnel. No, Great. no, but seriously, like, look, here's my thing. And I have, I want to be really cognizant of this fact. Cause I think um, Carolyn elephant po- posted this. Mm. Uh, it, so Seth Godin has been talking about like give stuff away for free. And he was talking about the thing like, that works great for white dudes. And like, I'm yes. assuming you're a white dude. I'm definitely a white dude. So I, I get that from the concept, but like, I am lucky enough. I don't know. Like we give a ton of weight stuff away for free and still people give me thousands and thousands of dollars yeah. to execute on it for them. So we have legalesemarketing.com slash education. There's a bunch of presentations you can download totally for free. You don't have to opt in. You don't need the email, etc. And that works for me or that works for us. That's and I awesome. get that other people have the, the buy-in opt-in website stuff. We do have a newsletter. If you want to also opt into that, it's on the website. What's the and, name of that newsletter again? Uh, not another fucking legal newsletter, but we had a bunch of different 
things in the in the F part because like there's a bunch of legal newsletters. So we are one more. Um, and then also like contact me on LinkedIn, follow me on LinkedIn. Mm. There are two Jordan Ostroffs in the world. The other dude is a badass salesperson in Boston. He gets a ton of job offers. They email me. So I say this on every time I bring him up. If you are his boss, he's doing something right. I promise you. Like you better pay him more. Um, and then there's me. So the the lawyer marketer with a beard. Jordan um, O in the know. Yeah, Jordan O in the know. Lawyer with a life. So follow me on LinkedIn. Connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm trying to put helpful information to help people get to $500,000 a year in gross revenue, which seems to be that part where you've got the fifty dollars to $100,000 a year to put into an mm. actual overarching marketing plan rather than like, I've got 50 bucks to put in yeah. Facebook ads or whatnot. So good, Jordan. So with the time that we have left, let's talk about thought leadership. All so right. Jordan and I it. are really excited to, to, to go here. But again, I know we got some people watching live. I'm excited for people on the replay to also chime in on this. If, if you're watching this on the, or if you're listening on the podcast, my apologies. But for anybody watching live or, or on the, watching the video, give me a one in the chat if you would consider yourself a thought leader. Give me a two in the chat if you do, would not consider yourself a thought leader. And give me a why if you would like to be a thought leader. The letter Y or a reason, W-H-Y? The letter Y. The letter, the letter y. y. All right. Just making sure. And then also give us a one or a two if you think both Joey and I are thought leaders or just Joe. No, it's just kidding. We won't, we won't pull your audience. And drive so Jordan, give us some context to, I know I talked about it and then you followed up. Uh, remind me why this was like an interesting topic for yeah, you. Yeah, sure. So here's the thing. I think that we as lawyers are like 20 years behind the times in so many ways. Mike Whalen says, uh, plus 100, he leads all the thoughts. That's true. He is. It, I, Mike, you're being overly sarcastic, but you're not totally wrong. Correct. Um, you lead a lot of thought leadership in the space. I see a lot of people getting out of the churn because of you. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so um, we are way behind the times. And honestly, the reality of it is the business world, the non-startup techie world is way behind the times. And then once it gets to normal business, then it becomes to the professions, then it becomes legal because we spend three years being taught to be the most critical thinkers and the most skeptical people in yes. the entire world. So when you talk about um, Malcolm Gladwell's early adopters, late adopters, like we are late adopters at best, even early firm adopters are still like the tail end of the normal 80% of the marketplace getting into this thing for the most mm. part. So to me, thought leadership, I have seen it come up as basically a business influencer. Like Instagram has had influencers. Last I saw Kim Kardashian gets like $500,000 to just like put something in a post, not do a commercial, just like have a post where like I'm holding this, you know, bag or this perfume or this alcohol or or this person who I'm trying to get the um, governor or president to pardon, whatever, like gets a ton of money for these things. And so I think the business world on the one hand has stolen the influencer topic, but then was like, we don't want to be, you know, TikTok influencers. Mm -hmm. We want to be serious and professional. Right. So we have made it into thought leadership. And the interesting part from that is like, I first heard that term in the legal space in any way, shape or form, like during COVID and I'm, it's been going on for so long. But like now I'm curious of if that is correct, like is a thought leader just a business influencer or do you have to lead 
in a different manner than an influence? And do you have to have a thought that you're pushing? And just like, mm-hmm. I am, I'm super interested. I have nothing serious to add to this because I've asked so many people whose insight I value and I've gotten completely different answers from everybody. Mm-hmm. So I think there is no right answer, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't think there is a right answer either, but I have learned, and I was telling Jordan about this before we went live, I reached out to people who I would consider thought leaders, especially like my coaching clients and course creator clients who have pretty massive followings, who they have said that they don't really use the term thought leader to define themselves or to describe themselves in their own marketing. And that when they, and I've tried this in the past too, like ran paid advertising, like calling attention, like, hey, thought leaders versus, you know, a course creator or a coach, like check this out people tend to not identify with that term. But I, I do think that there's, there's a difference because I, I work with a lot of like faces of brands in different ways. And it seems like in different pockets of the internet business world, people gravitate towards influencer, like personal brand and thought leader. And... I don't think that this is all a thought leader is, but I do think that thought leaders out of those three tend to be more monetized in their visibility. And I've, I've been hearing of several stories where like people who have millions of followers start some type of an online store and like can't st- sell swag. Well, and that's the fast. So I, I got on, Instagram this year. I'm going to admit that. So like I am an 11 something month Instagram user. Uh, And it's funny because like I finally have hit whatever threshold account you need to just get bombarded with the worst spam messages you possibly could have. Yes. And so they're like, are you monetizing your, your audience? Like you've got 500 followers. You should be making 50 bucks a month off your Instagram. And I was like, hey, bro, I got a four-person social media team. So if I'm only making 50 bucks a month off Instagram, I wouldn't be here. And so it's kind of funny because like clearly what you're saying is absolutely correct. Clearly there are a ton of these people um, out there that have a following without having a community maybe or whatever it is where they don't have a real investment or maybe they're not actually providing enough value or or have Mm -hmm. enough influence. It's just, it's interesting to me. You know, like what what you talked about before that's a little upfield from this, but like, the personal brand thing. Listen, if you are a solo attorney out there and you are trying to be the giant spider on the wall, so small spider with the light cast a large shadow, you're totally missing out, man, because nobody cares about your firm, period. Mm-hmm. I don't care what you do. I don't care who you are. Nobody cares. There will be a number of people that care about you that want to see you be successful, but nobody cares about your firm. So you try to make it seem so much bigger than it really is, and then you get companies like, progressive having flow and geico having the gecko and jake at state farm like all these giant faceless corporations are creating fake people why to build a personal brand because i promise Mm -hmm. you the jake from state farm curated account has a lot more followers than the actual state farm account gary v has 20 times as many followers as vayner everything elon musk has 50 times as many followers as spacex and tesla and every why nobody cares about your business at best they care about you Mm. so embrace it you know and maybe embrace it as a thought leader i don't know that that's 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 where i'm stuck but yeah and i think i mean thought leaders are still humans but when you follow a thought leader 
there will be more thoughts than dinner photos. There will be more thoughts. Okay. Yeah. It is amazing to me. We talked about this concept of like social capital, right? Like if you send me a message on LinkedIn and you're like, Hey, let's jump on a call. I want to learn more about what you do. I will write back. Do you genuinely not know? Or do you, right. did you not take the time? Like if you don't get it from my websites and my links and stuff like, cool, please let me know. Cause like I've screwed up. That is right. my mistake. Right. But at the same time, if you have, you know, if we've engaged on the platform for a while, great, let's do a call. Like we know each other enough. Like we've built up that capital. If you've got a podcast, like, listen, I don't care if you and your mom are the only ones that listen to your podcast. I'll probably go on it if you send me a thing like, hey, I want to interview you for half an hour. Because, yeah. like, I'm an attention whore, I guess. But so be it. I think, and I know that you've asked a couple of times, like, about the, the thought side of thought leadership. And, again, like, I don't think there's any right answers here. But what I found is that the thoughts that people have that make them thought leaders aren't thoughts as, like, answers and solutions it's like here are thoughts about what i value and questions that i want to dive into that attract people to what i'm doing and i think that what we're doing here is i think a good example of what i'm seeing in the thought leadership space of it's not just one person building this like thought leadership empire it's shared visibility it's kind of like you and me networking in a way that other people can see i mean that's the best part about a show right like yeah. you have a guest you're interviewing somebody we could have the same conversation over lunch hopefully it will benefit people um hopefully it'll be to a slight detriment of mike whalen but just a slight detriment and yes. to a great positive of so many other people but so be it but uh no i i look and i get that and it's just I hope that people are utilizing, let me flip it this way. So Netflix had this really awesome documentary I watched during COVID called Rise of the Samurai that talks about the reunification of Japan in like the 1500s. And literally the first battle is like 2000 people getting together to beat this other like 1500 people. And then like, that's the beginning of reunifying the entire country of Japan. And I was like, a stupid post that I put up on LinkedIn will get like 5,000 impressions, which is more people than mm. in 1500s helped it. And look, we're not going to war, but we have such a more interconnectedness. We have a lot more potential power over other people or potential influence. Mm. And so whether you want to be a thought leader or not, my hope is that we use that for good yeah. by sharing stories. You know, look, again, I go back to what I talked about before. Like I am cognizant of the fact that there are certain people that have an easier time sharing their knowledge for free and certain ones who don't. And I get it because I have a wife who's also an attorney and is way smarter than me and has been through it and explains it to me. And I do my best to understand because I don't see it not from it's wrong, but like I'm a white dude and I understand what that entitles me to. Sure. People think sure. I know what I'm talking about. I have gray hair, yada, yada, yada. But the more that we are sharing our own stories, the more that we are engaging with people, the more that we are being genuine and human and honest and helpful for each other, on whatever it is, even just like, great job, you really truly deserve that award. Or even like, oh my God, that's a great result for your client or stuff like that. Like just lead people to happiness, yeah. I guess, is what I hope would be the takeaway. So well said. And I want to make sure that before this video ends, I say that like Jordan, I 100% think that you are a thought leader. Well, thank you. And I think that 
one of the reasons why I love talking with people like you and Michael Whalen and others that'll be on this show is that the goal is to be interviewing people like you who have hit that level of success with your firm where you're now looking around and like, well, now what do I do? And how can I help people? How can I make an impact? And you didn't go in the direction of let me be that personal brand for my personal injury law firm and like the face of this thing just to attract more clients there. Like that is a way of having Jordan Ostroff monetize in a certain direction, but you kind of get to decide what do I as more of a person than connected to a brand want to be known for and how can I build a community and lead around that? And the whole lawyer with the life, it like captures that so well. Thank you. Well, and if you, like, if you look at, so Jordan Law FL is my personal injury firm. My wife and I own half and half. If you look at our social, anything that is actually legal related, like this is something you (laughs) should know. This is helpful. It's not me on it. It's usually my wife and they will like, the team will send it to me to review. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know the law on this very specific new statute that just came out. Like, can we ask Heather? And then Heather's like, well, there was this and this case law and this dissent and it came up from here and this is the legislative history and this is the exceptions and this is the most recent case on it. I'm like, awesome, cool. Like I need you now in front of a camera, just repeat that and we'll we'll make it, yes. you know, we'll make it work. For me, it's like, look, these are the values of my firm. This is what we want to do. This is the customer service experience we want to provide. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, the business stuff of it. Um, and look, are there people that are probably like, why am I going to a firm with my name on it when I'm not doing the work? Sure, no problem. And then it's the same thing with Morgan and Morgan. It's the same thing with yeah. you know, a bunch of other firms. If that's not for you, great, totally fine. But we are trying to be honest and not do the bait and switch and not have you sit down for a consult and hire a specific attorney at the consult who you never see again in any way, mm-hmm. shape or form. So why should I market the knowledge-based super expert being me when I'm not the one doing the consult, when I'm not the one doing the legal work? Makes a lot of sense. I mean, you're so good, Jordan, at... And it's one of the many reasons why I love you at saying like, Aww. there's no right answer, but here's the answer that I found. And, and you why? Do it in a way that's, and, yeah. why? and you do it in a way that's inspiring and also points out that like, we can all design our firms differently and just stand behind like, I'm doing it that way because I want to. And that's fine. Well, yes. Jordan, thank you so much for an amazing conversation. Wait, wait one yes. more thing. Yes. I just, and Thank you so much for what you said. And I want to make sure we get this point out to echo for everybody. More revenue is not the decider of happiness or success mm. or value. Mm. So like, I want, I want everybody to totally follow what Joey said and totally listen to finding the right fit. Don't force yourself into, I need more. I ran a 15 person firm and I was freaking miserable and I didn't make that much money. And now we are a firm of six with some marketing people helping out as well, but we're like half the size we make so much more and I am so mm-hmm. much happier and I can focus on other things and yada, yada, yada. So not to say anything against the large firms, but don't yeah. sit here and be like, I need my firm to be bigger. I mm-hmm. need to bring in more stuff. I need to have a million dollar firm. Like you might have to, but it needs to be backed up by something. Cause you're not a, you're not any worse as a human being. If you have a $500,000 firm versus a $1.5 million firm, like just get that out the window right now. So well said. Thank You're you. Awesome. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks everybody for tuning in. And please, Jordan said, you know, you don't really have to do anything here stuff. But the downside to that is that 
there's no easy way for, for Jordan to see who's checking out his education page. So to make Jordan's life easier in connecting with you guys, I would encourage all of you, and if you're listening to the podcast, head on over to Facebook, the links in the show notes, and drop in the comments what your biggest takeaway was from this conversation. Jordan, thanks again. I'm excited for you to connect and reconnect with the people around here. You're the man, and we'll do this again soon. Thank you so much for having me, man. Bye, everybody. All right, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Business Growth Advantage with me, Joey C. Vitale. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see y'all next week. Learn